Hey, everybody. It's a lot of people we've served, 6,000 some people over the course of uh, five years as a church uh, working and running for clean water. I just think that's incredible. I absolutely think that's incredible. And um, so I don't know, uh, how many people are running next year? <clears throat> so I saw two people who got injured this year who were waiting for the redo. Um, here, here's what it is. Hey, everybody online, uh, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Those of you who are, uh, you know, out in different cities, thanks for traveling with us. I know one of our pastors, <clears throat> a guy whose name uh, rhymes with grad, is watching from a lake today. And here's my thing, Heartland, I'll run next year if, if you can get the other guy to do it too. So on record, right now, but you got you to gotta convince him. Okay, I think it's easy. All right, and then I know a uh, uh, guy whose name rhymes with grad. You got b brothers and buddies around you right now who are also getting you to do this for next year too. So I, I just think it's so exciting. And here's why I love this. And, and I'll just, I got to get into a message. I don't have time to, to spend time on Team World Vision and running and all that stuff because I, I don't like running. But um, here, here's what I love about, about what the opportunity presents itself is that we're a church that makes space to build relationships, Right? And there's nothing more relational than spending time with people on the journey, on the road, side by side, running together, building a team, building a network, building a community. And so um, if you at all are like, man, I need, a, I need a motivation, I need a purpose, listen, start now, and like me, you'll be ready to be ready when time to be ready comes. So. That's, that's all that. Uh, hey, I, I, uh, I'm so excited for today. We're continuing our series uh, in, in uh, this, this topic. It brings me joy. And I, I was thinking about this the other day because what I want to get us into, uh, really, um, it, it's, um, well, have you ever thought you were doing the right thing only to find out that you're wrong the whole time? Yep. All the time. This is my life all the time. Um, for me, the, the moment that sticks out the most, most recently was uh, when I moved from the state that I moved to, to Kansas, there's a very different DMV experience here than the state that I came from. And neither one of them were pleasant, but this one was very unpleasant. Uh, and so I, 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 I swear I've spent more time in the DMV than I have in my office here at the church. Um, just trying to get my vehicles registered in the state. And here, here was me the other day uh, waiting in line. You ever do this? You ch check in at the DMV and you have to wait in line. Look at the timestamp here. I don't know if you can see this. 11.03 a.m. Your wait time is 90 minutes. That's not bad. I brought my computer. I wrote some of this message in the DMV waiting for it. And then um, just, you know, uh, 46 minutes later, I had dropped 20 minutes. And then eight minutes later, I'd gone up three. And then um, this is an hour and 40 minutes later, I still had 52 minutes left. <laughs> frustrating, frustrating. And I got to the counter finally, finally got to the counter. And do you know what happened? I was in the wrong place. Yes, I had to go do this whole thing. I had to take my car somewhere else and then get a sheet of paper to go do the. And it would have been really great had our websites worked and I knew kind of what to do. And, and I just felt, in this moment, I felt like I was, uh, like, like I have been trying so hard to do the right thing so I can live by your rules, Kansas. <laughs> and I realize how much of a spiritual metaphor that is for people who are trying to follow Jesus. Right? So, so much of us trying so hard, we're like, God, I'll do anything. I'll sit in the row for hours. I'll, I'll go run for clean water. I'll, try, I'll wake up early and try and make sense out of the Bible. I'll do whatever it takes so that I can follow you the right way. I'll do, I want to live by your rules, God, and, and, and only to get frustrated. 
Jesus encountered a group of people who were doing just that back in his day. Now, I don't want us to be a type of people who um, are, are those who don't know what it is that pleases God. What brings joy to the heart of God? What is the right thing for us to do? I don't want us to waste time in our lives doing the wrong things. And, and Jesus encountered this group of people in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, uh, Jesus had just been hanging out at a, at a dinner party where there were some notorious criminals and people who weren't necessarily religious people. And, and, and the religious leaders of the day were so appalled that Jesus would spend time with people who weren't moral, weren't religious, weren't trying to follow after God's rules the right way. And, and, and the non-religious people were flocking to Jesus and the religious people were, were opposed to Jesus. And they, they said to him, we don't think you're doing this the right way. We think you're wrong in the way that you're trying to be right. And Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells them a story in response. He, he, he shares a story. Um, let, let's look at it together. Let's start in verse 3. Um, Luke chapter 15, verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. A parable is a, a story that goes alongside. Para is alongside. Uh, balo is to throw. So it really means to cast alongside or to tell a story about earthly realm with spiritual meaning. That's what a parable is. This is a, this is a powerful metaphor that Jesus is telling. Fiction, but powerful. And Jesus says this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. First of all, I've got three kids. I can't imagine a hundred sheep. Like that, of, that's, that's a thing. But you lose one of them. Doesn't, this is rhetorical, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? I want to just cast this by reminding us that Jesus is telling this story to people who are religious leaders. They're trying to do the right thing to please God. And in one sense, Jesus is trying to explain to them why he's hanging out with people who are not so religious, not doing the right things. And, and he tells them, you know, there's a lot of sheep out there. One of them's lost. The good shepherd is going to go to those sheep and bring them back. Jesus is, in one sense, justifying his associations and his acquaintances and his actions. But there's a lot going on in the story that's very simple. In fact, there's a lot going on in the three stories that are found in Luke chapter 15. See, the, the story about this sheep that has gone astray is followed by a story about a woman who loses one-tenth of her wealth overnight. And then it's followed by a story of a, of a father who loses 50% of his kids. One of his two sons leaves home. The, um, a few years ago, there was this movie I don't know if you guys watched this movie. It probably, it's an obscure movie, although it won for Best Picture back in, I think, 2004. It's a movie, Crash. And I don't know that I can recommend it from a stage, but I just remember it being like an incredibly well-thought-through, well-written movie. Uh, the same guy who wrote Million Dollar Baby wrote this movie and directed it, uh, a guy named Paul Haggis. And uh, it's a profound story of how apparently disconnected plot lines are all integral to the main plot line that you find out at the end. And, and here's the deal. This is what Luke 15 is. It's Crash early crash. Now I wish Jesus visited earth during the time of Hollywood because his storytelling abilities tells an incredible story that really packs a punch. And that's what we have today in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is weaving together three short vignettes about what it means to be lost and found. He begins by saying, you know, which one of you having a hundred sheep upon counting them up, realizes that you're one short. You wouldn't just, you know, slough it off and, and consider it a tax write-off for depreciated goods. 
but rather you would put at risk the whole entire flock for the sake of your one lost sheep and go on a search and a rescue mission that one pitiful but valuable sheep demanded of you. Which one of you wouldn't do that? Now, um, I take it many of you are not shepherds. I have preached ser sermons on this before and I've almost always said, now I know nobody here is a shepherd and there's always a shepherd in the room. Some 4-H families checking out the church that day and like... <laughs> They don't come back because they're like, well, it's not a sheep church, so it's not for us. So I'm not, maybe you're here and I want to acknowledge the shepherds in the room today, but I'm not one of them. You're probably not one of them. I, I don't think we have to be, you know, rocket scientists to understand the job of a shepherd. The, the word is, the, jo the job description literally is one word. Keep. Just keep the sheep. You just keep them together. You just keep them alive. You just keep them. If you are, are a good shepherd, a good shepherd keeps the sheep. But here's the problem. Sheep are not helpful to the shepherd. They wander off all the time. They get stuck in bushes. They, sheep will fall down hills and, um, you know, need help. They get isolated from the herd. They'll wander away. And the crazy thing about sheep is that when they wander away, they get anxious. They, they actually, their heart rates spike and they don't know how to move and they just get paralyzed with fear. I don't know how often shepherds have to count up their flocks to make sure that everyone's around. I imagine today shepherds have GPS trackers on everyone. Garmin's probably figured that out, I hope. The sheep division of Garmin's. <laughs> if not, Heartland gets that royalty money, okay? Um, but, but a shepherd back in Jesus' day would have to go one, two, three, four, five, you know? And I wonder how many times this shepherd got to 96, 97, 98, 99. Oh, come on. And he counts it up again, 96, 97, 98, 99. Huh. If you, um, when a high school kid, you were closing out the cash register at the Dairy Queen or wherever you worked that day and you realized you, that didn't add up, you have that panicky feeling of like, oh no, what, what, we, gotta, we gotta figure this out, right? We've been there, we know this, this emotion. And he does it again. Number 100 is missing. And Jesus says, surely this shepherd is going to leave all 99 by themselves and go find the one. Actually, what Jesus says is he's going to find the one that is lost, is the word. Whenever we come to Jesus' stories, the words that he chooses to use that are recorded throughout history, the words matter. Now, Jesus never wastes words. He's never accidental or haphazard with his words. And I want to point this out because the word lost is only used by two biblical authors. One here is Luke. The other is an Old Testament prophet named Ezekiel, interestingly enough, both times that this word lost is used, they refer to sheep. Sheep. It's kind of a strange coincidence. In Ezekiel 34, God talks about the sheep of Israel who have gone astray and the fact that the leaders of Israel could have cared less because they didn't go after the strayed sheep. The, the leaders didn't go after the people who had wandered away from their God. And in Ezekiel 34, God responds by using this word, lost. He says, I'm going to take up the role of shepherd myself. Here, I'll read it to you. I'm not afraid of reading you the Old Testament. It says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. 
So in one sense, Jesus is telling the, these religious leaders of you know, who they think are, they're doing the right thing. He's, he's trying to tell them, here's why I'm hanging out with these people. But he also tells them, hey, religious leaders, don't you hear the echoes of what God said to you from times before that the people were gone and you did nothing about it? And God said that he would come himself to find his sheep. And when Jesus tells this story about a shepherd and a sheep, he's actually alluding to the fact that the embodiment or the, the, the fulfillment of this prophecy was taking place in their hearing that God himself had come like a shepherd to find the sheep that had been scattered. And I think we, we see this. It gets us really close to the heart of God. That God has come to do something about the neglect of those who are far from home. And this isn't like drudgery for Jesus. This is joy. Look at what he says. Here, here's, how the, here's how he ends this story. So, so he goes out and he's going to go find the one sheep. He's going to leave the 99 in the open country and go find the one. And this. And when he finds it, um, I can preach a whole entire message just on those words. Because when God sets out to do something, he always does it. But that's a that's a message for another day. Uh, when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, say it with me. Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. One more. And I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That's as far as we're going to take the Luke 15 train today. We're going to hop off there. There's some really good things that come after it. Um, you know, there's a whole thing about the, the coin and the thing about the, the sun. But I think the cumulative effect of these parables is very crystal clear. You don't need a pastor to tell you this, that this is the, this is the main point. It's that finding lost people, finding lost people brings God joy. That, that it brings something in the heart of God to be delighted when he finds lost people. Now, um, if we look clearly, uh, we see that God the Father is the searcher. He's the shepherd who cares about every single one of his flock. Not, not one will be lost, not one will escape. No matter who it is in his family, they'll never be out of reach for the Father. Likewise, if we kept going in Luke 15, Jesus would be saying that God the Father is like the woman who searches for 10% of her wealth and finds it only to put it back into circulation to use the coin as the power that it was created to be. And of course, if we looked even further in Luke 15, he's the father who has allowed his child to have the ultimate judgment of having their own way. And so he's divided up life only to stand at the edge of his property and wait longingly for his son to return. We see that God the Father is the active agent in each and every one of these little vignette stories. And because of that, because we see that it brings God joy to find lost people, these three stories shed light onto how God thinks about you and about me. And I think this is just genius by Jesus. I want to walk you through what this means. If, if it's God's joy to find lost people, here's what it means. It, it tells us something about us. It tells us something about the heart of God, but it tells us something about us. The first is that we're His. If God is the shepherd and he has a flock of sheep, the sheep represents you and me. Now, um, uh, just sorry, but like being a sheep in the Bible is kind of like being a Raiders fan. It's like not ideal. Right? Am I preaching yet? Thought I'd get an amen. 
Okay, if you're from Oakland or Las Vegas, this is not the church for you. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just kidding. It's a church for everyone, even the wayward. <laughs> so, 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 uh, I'll get off my high horse here from Chicago. Gosh. No, um, to be a sheep, it really, it really means that you're not smart. It's that you actually are, are mindless. But to be a sheep that has the best shepherd means that we belong to God. And God looks at us and he sees us and he says, you're mine. There is an incredible purpose in this story to remind you and me that though we are like sheep, we are God's sheep. We are his, owned by him. The, the eyes of God look all across the face of the globe upon this pale blue dot at, at billions of people whose breath and whose blood are borrowed from above. God looks upon your life and he says, yes, you might be like a sheep, but you're my sheep. You are mine. A good shepherd looks upon his flock and says, I will go get you because I am responsible for you. So we see that. This is how God thinks about us is that we are his. I wonder, do you know that you belong to God? Do you know that? Do you feel that? I know driving through Johnson County some days, it's easy for us to believe that we belong to ourselves or we belong to our spouse or we belong to our kids or we belong to our boss. But at the end of the day, you and I belong to the highest shepherd, the highest leader, to God. But here's, here's the other thing that this teaches us. There's, I think, three lessons. The first is that we're his. The second is, is this, is that we're wanderers. It's kind of the ouch moment of the message. Isaiah 53 talks about the reason that God sent Jesus. It's a prophecy that was told long before Jesus came. It says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own ways. You and I, as much as uh, we like to think that we're on a mission, strategic, have our life plan figured out, we've got our goals and our budgets and our paths of education and our, our careers ahead of us, the way that God looks upon us is like a group of sheep that he's constantly got to be doing this to, bringing around to keep us together. All of us kind of have our own tendencies to get off course, to wander away and to find ourselves isolated. Um, I want to consider for a second though, because we are gods, I want us to remind, remind ourselves the fact that the omniscient God of the universe knows where everything is at all times. A few years ago, I was at a funeral um, for a friend's grandparent and a little boy came up to the widow and he apologized that she lost her husband I remember this. She responded with that phrase. It's kind of a phrase that people use. He said, son, if you know where something is, it's not lost. You've heard that before. And I think when we think about the fact that God knows where his sheep are, belonging to the God of the universe, you and I are never off of his radar, even if we feel far from home. We're all wayward wanderers. You know, um, Sometimes I lose things. I, it's uh, embarrassing. There's this, um, 
cottage industry that's like air tags and things like that. I finally broke down and bought one for my keys because I was just sick of my keys wandering around. My kids don't even drive, but they move my keys around. I got a hook for them, and they don't, they're never on the hook, and I can never find them. It's frustrating because I get panicky in the moments where I've lost something because I, I usually wait. The last thing I do before I walk out of the house is pick up my keys, and so I'm already like on the edge of when I need to leave. I don't have time to not have my keys, right? And so I, my keys represent for me selfish ability, the, the capacity that I have to move, to be free, to go connect with people. So when I search, whenever I search for things that I've lost, my point of my search is to enrich myself. I'm a selfish searcher. When I look for things, it's because I'm panicked about the thing that I lost. I either don't want to lose the value or I got to be somewhere and I want to not lose someone else's value. But let me be a little bit more um, vulnerable with you, if that's okay. Don't judge me for what I'm about to say because this, this is an embarrassing thing. Um, sometimes I search for things just to save face. You ever done this? Um, okay, so a while ago, my family was out of town um, on a vacation, and we were spending time at a, at, a, at, a, at a place that had a pool. And on the way back from the pool, our kids, their cousins were all in a big group running up the stairs to see who could race to our, um, our unit um, of this timeshare first. So, so they're, they're all running ahead. And us as parents, we're like enjoying the stage where our kids are big enough to handle the pool by themselves and we don't have a, any like diapers and all this stuff. And we're just like reveling in the fact that our kids are independent. We all get up there, we go into the room and it's an embarrassingly long amount of time before we realize that we don't have our daughter. <laughs> embarrassingly long. And when we did the whole count, one, two, three, four, five, where's number six? Is she in the bathroom? No. No, I thought she... When Kristen and I realized that she wasn't with us, we freaked out. Burst out of the door, yelling her name into, into, the, into the, the, the... And to me, it felt like the frigid temperatures, but it was like 100 degrees outside. And um, we found her within 45 seconds, so, you know, it's okay. She's fine, safe sound. I remember the honest thought that I had as I burst out that door was not, this is to my shame, it was not, gosh, I bet she's so scared. It was not, gosh, I hope she's okay. I hope she didn't like, find a bad person. My honest thought was, boy, we look like a fool to our in-laws. It was selfish. I was self-centered. I was self-conscious. I can search for things because I care about my own reputation. Why does God search for sheep? Here's the question I really want to get us to. I think it leads us to this third principle, this third characteristic of how God looks upon us. Why does he search for us? If we are sheep and if we are wanderers, why does God even care? And it's simply because this, this story tells us very simply that we are prized. We're prized. You in your life, in your unique way that God has made you, are a gem to God. And he looks upon you and, and he says, I love you and I see you and I care about you so much that I know that when you wander away, you're anxious and you're scared and you're afraid. So I'm going to go get you and I'm going to go bring you back close to home so you can be close to me so that you can live in safety once again. You're prized. Prized so much that the one is worth as much as the 99. Prized. 
It's out of this esteemed care that Jesus this, this says the shepherd will find the sheep. And it's the joy that the shepherd is going to put the sheep on his shoulders and walk it all the way home. He picks the sheep up and he walks it home. And I, I love this because have you ever seen a picture of a, a shepherd carrying the sheep? They do this because if they just tried to like coax the sheep home, the sheep would just still wander away and fall down the rocks. And so here's what the shepherd does. The shepherd takes the sheep. The back legs and the front legs. Are they called hind legs? You can tell how much I know about sheep. The, the, and then lifts him and puts him up here. Keeps him close. Why? So that the sheep doesn't fight. <laughs> because sheep don't like to be picked up. And he pulls him down. Why? So that the sheep can feel the warmth of the shepherd. And the shepherd take step after step all the way home. I am um, so proud of you guys who did the half marathon yesterday. Do it next year with a sheep <laughs> on your shoulders. <laughs> it's a hard journey. It's a, it's a, it's a diff, that's difficult terrain. And the shepherd takes step after step all the way home. He picks up the sheep to take it home because here's the last thing. Not only would the sheep fight and the shepherd wants the sheep to feel at peace in his warmth, but finally it's because the sheep doesn't know the way to go. From the perspective of the sheep, the shepherd is taking a circuitous route back. The, the shepherd takes a different path to the field that the sheep wasn't really aware of in the first place. And it seems to the sheep that the shepherd is going the wrong way and wants to give backseat directions. And yet when the, the, the shepherd finds us and saves us, he takes us on a different path, step by step, all the way back to the green pastures. You see, God gets great joy from finding us wherever we've gone and bringing us out of trouble, bringing us back home. Personally, I didn't realize how much of a wanderer I was until I um, hit that age in high school. And you get a little bit of independence and you start to see the things in your heart that were there the whole time you were growing up and you didn't really understand it until they gave birth to actions. This is why I just care deeply about my kids going through a little bit of life before I push them um, some, some spiritual lessons towards them or even try to, to encourage them uh, towards God because I want them to feel the weight of their wandering. For me, I had to feel the weight of my wandering. I had, to, I had to realize that inside of me, I thought I was a really good kid. I came from a really good family, but I needed to wander a little bit. I didn't need to, but I did. And um, I was a good kid. I was like, you know, a church kid. But I'd lie about stuff in church just so that other people would think I was better than I was. How messed up is that? Right? Yeah. See, I was, I was wrong in the way that I was trying to be right. Just like Jesus said. And so um, I just remember being in high school surprised at how easy it was for me to live my life apart from God, to, to, to sort of wander into my own thing because I wasn't even trying to do the good things and even trying to lie about the good things. I was just doing selfish things. And I, I was exhausting to be selfish. Like I was tired of the internal turmoil and the, and the tension. And I remember feeling far from God one day feeling so far from God that I felt least prized. I felt like God wouldn't care about me, that rather he'd write me off. 
And it was at that moment that I heard that my heart was ready to hear. When I felt far from God, I heard these words. That God so loved me that he sent the good shepherd, his son, Jesus, to rescue me. That it was when I wasn't close to him that the shepherd showed me his love. And I found out how prized I am by him that while I was a sinner, while I had wandered far away, he had already found me and was willing to put me on his shoulders and bring me back to his peaceful fields. He did that for us, not when we were close to him, but even when we were far, far from him. Jesus's journey to bring me back home, it involved him leaving the comforts of heaven to come down to the wanderings of this earth. He forged ahead despite the misunderstandings and rejection that he endured. He loves us so much. He prizes you and me so much that he willfully walked into a betrayal. He resisted resisting. Love that phrase. He resisted resisting. He could have resisted, but he resisted resisting because he knew that this was the way that God had for us. He loves us so much that he willfully put a crossbeam on his shoulders for the joy that was set before him. He took step after step after step towards a hill called Golgotha. And he shouldered the weight of our sins. And I see it. I don't know if you can see it. I see the love that he did it with in his eyes knowing that he was bringing his sheep home. Saying to us, you're mine. Come home. See how much I think about you and care for you. How much I love you. That I will do the work for you so that being right can be my job. Being forgiven can be your job. The shepherd carries the sheep. Not because the shepherd is desperate. Not because the shepherd is embarrassed, but because the shepherd can. And the shepherd knows it's the only way to get the sheep home. Don't miss the obvious point this morning. That Jesus is the only way for you and me to find our way back to God. You and I will never accidentally wander into the kingdom of heaven. It's just never going to happen. You will not meander your way into purpose. The only way back to God is to be carried by the shepherd, to re resist resisting Jesus and let him carry you all the way home. And this is why Jesus first is the mantra of Heartland. Because Jesus is the only one who can provide forgiveness and freedom and blessing and prosperity and safety and the sense of home to all of us. Because on the cross, he forgave us. Out of the grave, he paved the way for us to believe this wild story that is actually true that the way of joy is found in faith in Jesus. The story of the sheep, the story of the coin, they both end showing us what Jesus is really talking about. He, re he reprises this one phrase. He says it twice. Here's what he says after the story of the coin. He says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who, everybody say this word with me. Repents. Repents. Say it one more time. Yeah, yeah, don't you feel like I got like a, a sandwich board and a bullhorn? Just talking to a guy out in the lobby right before then. That never works. Okay, please don't do that. Going around, walking, just yelling at people to repent. Jesus tells a story 
because he wants us to see what repentance looks like. Repentance in the Bible, it literally means a change of mind to agree with God that Jesus is the Savior. It's a change of mind that instigates a change of direction in your life so that you walk out a new path. It is resisting, resisting. It is to give up your life to the shepherds so that he can carry you. It's a damaged word in our society, but I think when we see Jesus and the faith that we have in Jesus as the Savior of the world, it's an automatic result of recognizing him for who he is. And I think repentance today might be for you to be just something that Jesus did when he was on this earth, to resist resisting. Don't resist, you know, some of us are resisting Jesus and you've resisted Jesus for a long time because of people like me. I want to just point that out, that, that the shepherd is way better than the sheep. Heartland, is that true? We would hate it for you to see our lives, us, our wayward sheep-like lives, and for you to imply that our shepherd can't keep us together, so therefore he's not good. Don't measure the shepherd by the sheep. Measure the shepherd for what he does. The shepherd keeps us together. And this church is just proof of the fact that we have a good shepherd that brings us from all across the spectrum of life to be a, a family together again in the open fields. And I wonder if you today, I wonder if you today need to stop resisting Jesus. Let him just lift you up today from wherever you are. Right now, even, would you stop kicking against him to let him hold you, let him carry you, let him bring you home and give you peace. It means um, going a different way. And I remember so clearly hearing the words of Jesus when I was a teenager and, and realizing um, that he had something that I was looking for. And as he started to walk me the other way in my life, I, it was down the, the routes that I wouldn't have expected. And he doesn't take us down the same path that got us stuck. I'm grateful for that. He travels a better path, one that the sheep doesn't comprehend. But if you trust him to carry you, he who found you will protect you and he will surely bring us home. Won't you let him? Won't you let him bring you home today? He's so good. Here's how good the shepherd is. One more thing and then I'm done. Here's how good the shepherd is. It, it's this. The shepherd finds lost people. That's what God does. It's his joy. But then sharing his joy at finding lost people brings God joy. I know that's kind of like a circuitous reasoning, but here's how it works out. The shepherd finds his sheep, brings it all the way back home and calls out to all of his friends, hey, rejoice with me for I found my sheep that was lost. The woman finds one-tenth of her uh, belongings and she, she calls across the, the street to her neighbors, hey, come on over, I'm throwing a party that's going to be worth more than what I found. It's, it's, it's backwards thinking. She's spending more than she actually found, but she's rejoicing in it. And then the father. The father who has the son who wanders away, he stands on the edge of town and he sees him from afar and he welcomes him home and he throws the party of a lifetime. All of this to show us how valuable you and I are in the scheme of God's eyes. To see that we cost so much to him, that he loves you so much. And what gives him more joy is to share that joy with others. And so at the end, we see heaven rejoicing 
I think I have that slide. Let's just put this up. I, I read it to you already. But in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing. Look at how extravagant this party is. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Heaven erupts with praise when we look up at Jesus and we say, we can't do it. Would you take me home? We can't do it. Would you carry me? We can't do it. I know that you can. Heaven throws a party every single time we give up and we say, God, I'm wayward. Will you take me back? And this is what we're going to do next week here at Heartland through the waters of baptism. Baptism is a party. It's not the type of party that you went to in college. It's a party where we celebrate the fact that lives get changed by faith. And when, when people go into the water next week and they tell their story and they rep represent the fact that they've been buried like Jesus because of their faith and they've been raised to new life because of what Jesus has done for them, this room, this house will erupt with praise. Why? Because it's what God does. He births joy from joy. He finds lost people. And then he invites everyone to celebrate the fact that he finds lost people. This is the mission of God. This is the mission of God for our church. This is the mission of God for your life. What would imagine, imagine with me, what would happen if our church really took this seriously? If we in our, in our lives, we took this seriously to say, God, I know I'm living my life around tons of people who don't know you and are resisting you. And how can I just help, help them see how good you are? I'll tell you what would happen. Lost people would get found and heaven would rejoice and the church would rejoice and lives be changed as we celebrate the shepherd. It's the vision that God has for us. He's in the business of bringing us home. So I don't know where you are today on this journey. I don't know if you've wandered far from God. I don't know if it's been a while since you've actually taken seriously your faith. Maybe this past season from COVID until today, you, we hear this story all the time. I stopped going to church during COVID and I kind of wandered away from God. I wonder if today, of all days, right here, right now, could be a moment for you just to hear how good the shepherd is and to say to him, God, I need you. Pick me up. I'm here. I believe. Would you change me? Would you welcome me back home? We have faith that that's God's joy to do that for us. If that's you today, I would love for you just to join me. You can start that relationship with God just by praying. I love just to have us all bow our heads, close our eyes. And there's nothing magical to this, but I want to just lead you. Some of us, we don't know how to start that. I just want to give you some words. I just want to lead you through a prayer as you think about giving your life back to God, letting him find you. You just pray this. You just simply, simply say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. You know what I've done. I know I can't make my life right on my own. I'm frustrated. But I trust that you love me so much that you died for me. That you sought me out and found me. So I choose to follow you. Would you bring me home? 